Hi, this is Brittany Haas. And this is Natalie Haas. And you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along. A podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bluegrass Jam Along. I've uh, got another interview for you this week and it is with Brittany and Natalie Haas who have a fantastic new duo record out. Um... Yeah, Brittany and Natalie are sisters, as you might guess from the shared surname, and they've been playing music together all their lives, but they've just done a duo record for the first time, and it's brilliant. Uh, I love it. And so I invited them on to have a chat about it. A um, couple of bits of quick kind of stuff to point out. First is I've panned them to the left and right. It's, this is I don't often do things with two guests, and with two guests in different locations. So I've panned Natalie to the left and Brittany to the right. And the easy way to remember is that Brittany has an R in it and Natalie has a left in it. An L in it, even. Um, so that's how you'll know which is which, in case you don't recognise their voices. And I'm in the middle, because you know what I sound like. Um, and the other thing is, there's quite a bit, as you'll find out at the end, um, explanation why there's quite a bit of noise in this one. Just general background noise. And that is because Natalie lives... Uh, by a farm in northern Spain and so there's I tried to edit a bit out but I there's there's a lot of wildlife left in there so bear with it I think it will add to the overall feel um and don't let it put you off but this was a great interview I really enjoyed it and it's a really really good record um I'm going to stick a link in the show notes to their band camp and all that kind of stuff so you can go and find it stream it buy it download it all those kinds of things uh but here comes my interview with Brittany and Natalie So my guests on Bluegrass Jam Along this week are Brittany and Natalie Haas, who uh, have been playing music together for years, but have finally got a record out as a duo. And I'm <laughs> going to talk to them all about that. And I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is the most um, probably geographically diverse podcast episode we've had so far. <laughs> Three people in different countries. Um, Brittany's joining us from Nashville. Natalie's joining us from northern Spain. Um, should be fun. Uh, congratulations on the record, first off. Thank you so much. It's really cool. I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks now, and there are so many interesting things to talk about. But before we sort of get onto the record itself, which is really curious to know why, after playing music together basically your whole lives, now was the time to record a duo record. <laughs> That's a great question. Britt, you want to take this? <laughs> uh yeah i don't know it's kind of funny because i feel like we just it happened really quickly because we had a couple gigs very sort of far-flung gig requests at a couple festivals and that basically prompted us we're like oh maybe we should have a cd you know because we had we'd worked up all this music and none of it was recorded um the first times that that happened where we got a gig um, requests we just kind of put together a bunch of old trad stuff and with new arrangements but this time around Nally had all these new tunes and so it was all original material and we thought you know what we should just record this and then we can bring it along on the tour and and then it happened and then in hindsight it's like why did we not do that like 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> and not all the music on it is mine so Brittany has some of her own tunes on there too but it, it's almost all original except for one track mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really cool. It's such a it's such an interesting sound, and with the the whole, it's a bit of a lazy term for a new acoustic, really. But with the whole sort of new acoustic <laughs> world, there's such a range from kind of almost 
chamber style music that is very much the parts are written it's played the same way every time through to stuff that is you know almost always entirely new every time it's played where does this sort of sit on that spectrum from sort of composed to improvised well Brittany's a great improviser so of course there was a couple moments where we we had to let her go and do her thing um and she does that anyway with with melodies i think has a, a beautiful way of making them her own every time she plays them slightly differently um but it is i mean there are there are modern tunes but it is they are mostly like especially my tunes of course are are more celtic in nature meaning that you do kind of pretty much stick to the melody although we are swapping melody back and forth a lot and um I would say the parts aren't like super highly developed. I think it, it changes with every performance. Um, but the tunes themselves are, are kind of set more or less um, with some beautiful melodic variation from, from Brit and a couple of soloy moments. There's a cello solo. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I would say the same about Nat. I mean, she, I know she doesn't exactly think of herself as an improviser, but what she's doing is very mutable and it's constantly changing. And um, her style of creating rhythm and harmonic backup ideas is really fluid and creative and amazing. So you, you hear that throughout. And I think, I mean, she does this on trad tunes as well, but but because you wrote these tunes, it's almost like there's a certain freedom you have with them because you you made them. <laughs> it's built in. That's, that's really interesting because one of the things I haven't been playing traditional music for like years and years. And one of the things that was a, a surprise to me was how much improvisation goes on in the rhythm playing as well as in the. I sort of felt to me like you'd be getting instrumental solos and backing, but actually particularly in a smaller ensemble as well, the accompaniment can be just as much part of the conversation as the, the tune. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the fun part about it being a duo is that, yeah, there is a lot of freedom in both parts. And I do love that. I love a duo record or a trio record where you hear the sort of conversation happen where the, when it's a band's a bit bigger, sometimes things get a bit lost or things, people have a role. And I'm exactly. And that's particularly with this combination because it's, maybe it's not but to me it feels pretty rare to have two kind of melodic instruments there's nobody playing chords there's not a chordal instrument like in mm -hmm. the mix where even with something like um that's quite out there like the edgar Meyer and christie records you've still got one instrument that's capable of playing chords and mm -hmm. and so it feels like some of the challenges but also opportunities for arranging tunes for those two instruments it's probably quite exciting Totally. And I would say Natalie's style, it's, I mean, yes, it's a cello and it's bowed. It's not like she's strumming a full chord at once, but she can really create that feeling with the the chopping and comping where it's sort of two notes and then another two notes really quickly. You know, it's like <laughs> she has a lot of fluidity with, with that kind of stuff. And um, I think that can create some cool contrast because then when she does take the melody, um, my way of backing up is a lot different. Like what, what the fiddle does while it's, you know, s some similar techniques like the chopping um, it's, it's just a really different like power structure and like harmonic depth and all that, you know, it's, you really just hear that contrast when we trade off. Um, mm. 
And I yeah. think the cello is a chordal instrument to some degree, like especially if I'm plucking, which I, I do do a fair amount of, I think in this record, it's not, like you say, it's not a, all the notes at once, uh, but it does give that illusion, you know, kind of not a, not a straight strum, but um, kind of rolled chords um, are, are possible on cello. Mm-hmm. And as a as a listener, and as somebody who plays like guitar and mandolin, and I have a tendency to think in chords that are just a predefined bunch of notes you choose all together. So like the chord is the choice rather than the notes. To hear accompaniment that does break that down a bit, and you hear the individual notes in the chord and some of the choices going on, is really kind of really cool. And it's just, I think, accompaniment in that sense. Well, I'm so fascinated to know if there's, I know there is a bit in Scottish music, but this history of the cello as a, a sort of rhythm instrument, because it's not from the modern sort of acoustic bluegrass world, a very common mm-hmm. rhythm instrument, but it's obviously got huge capabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it does have that history in Scotland. Um, and then I, I think like Crooked still made it a bluegrass instrument basically, mm-hmm. um, which is so cool, you know, um, uh, but yeah, Perhaps. I mean, it, w- it wouldn't have been doing anything like super rhythmically complex in Scotland back in the 1800s. It would have been giving a like a solid, just on the beat, kind of similar to like a, you know, jazz rhythm guitar, just you're just playing on the beat all the time. Um, but it gives enough of a, of a, I wouldn't say groove necessarily, but you're getting a, be- a, a steady beat that um, does kind of help the the dancers feel the feel the beat. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting because that parallel between the sort of baroque music, which features kind of a figured bass that's not dissimilar to the way some of the music is written for Scottish music, right. but it's, they and they use a lot of similar forms. A lot of folk dance forms were used heavily by classical composers, and you know, presumably because the music was being written to dance to as much as yeah. to be listened to. And so there's a really interesting parallel there of how those kinds of tunes, because I know, for example, like Brittany, the Hawktail record, a lot of the tunes on that were in traditional forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of, and, and so I guess there's a couple of bits there, but one is the the the, che- the way the cello works with all of that. But also, are you thinking of particular folk dance forms when you're writing these tunes? Do you have a Definitely. particular sort of rhythm in mind? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, uh, no, you, you, you go for it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of reels. Um, I mean, <laughs> basically drawing from the Scottish dance forms mostly, mm-hmm. although there's, there's one, one of the tracks is more Irish inspired. Um, and those are mm-hmm. jigs. So that's also a type of dance, but, um, as these things evolve over time, like, you know, old time music, square dance music kind of evolving into bluegrass, then I feel like there's a bit of a parallel with Scottish music where, I mean, there's the dancing tradition is still alive and well, but there's also a performance mm-hmm. side, which is more like what you and Alistair do. It's like you can still dance to it, but it's also so intricate and people can just sit and listen and enjoy it that way as well. Um, so even though they are these traditional dance forms, it, it might be not um, for or i don't know <laughs> like, it would be I great if somebody put this record on and danced the whole thing i would love that yeah <laughs> and i think something about you know what you said about it being a performance tradition as well and and we are definitely a part of that like 
we're not playing for dance. We have, both of us have done it a little bit, but that's not what we do mainly. So we're, we feel, I think, more uh, freedom in choosing tempos. Like, you know, people who play, play are playing for dances all the time. They're like, you know, your reels are, are going to be at 120 or, or whatever it is. But like, there's a lot of um, tunes on here that would technically, you know, fit in the real category it's in four four it's like it's, you know it's a straight subdivision um but like we're playing them a lot slower and groovier and um so i think you know there's a, a little bit of our american-ness <laughs> is is coming out there because we're not trying to be traditional scottish music musicians or bluegrass or old-time musicians we're just you know drawing on the uh our our influences and then taking them where it feels good um, to us. A lot of these tunes before they, before we knew what we were going to call them, were just, you know, a real C real slow stress <laughs> or, you know, like <laughs> they, yeah, they, they definitely come from that. And, and uh, yeah, what Nat's saying is a cool concept, just the, the mutability of the speeds and how that can really set something up for a totally different feel. Yeah, or like there's one stress bay on there. You know, stress bays are normally in four four, but um, this one is in three, and it's got like a little bit in four in the middle of it. But like, I don't think that that's that's not a dance form. <laughs> but it's yeah. you know, again, the, we're playing the around a bit. It. Yeah, come from. Yeah, that. I guess if you're playing for dancing, then changing time signatures is a big no-no. <laughs> 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 but does that so? Does that also give you a bit more fluidity to play around with the accompaniment and? sort of where you emphasize beats and to play with subdivisions and to drag things across bar lines because nobody's waiting for the solid down beat to kick off from. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and even sometimes the the dancers, if we were playing for dancing, I think dancers like that sometimes, you know, that a little bit of unexpectedness, as long as you do eventually get that downbeat, <laughs> you know, uh, but no, because we're not playing for dancing, we have, we can do more of that definitely. And sort of playing as a as a duo with these two particular instruments, do you do you have to think about register more than you might do in a band setting in terms of making sure there's not too much space between you, or, the, or when there is, that's kind of a chosen thing, or did it just sort of naturally feel very similar to playing in other settings? I think I I think about register a lot in any setting, but yeah, I think the 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 um bareness of a duo does um, make that really important and you can really use it to great extents because there is a pretty huge range on the cello um and as well on the fiddle but it just more it sounds more similar maybe across the range <laughs> um like when i'm playing on my c string it's nothing like my my the depth that I can go to feels nothing like the depth that the cello can go to and so um yeah, it's really cool to use that. Like sometimes we'll even like basically cross over, you know, like we, we like to do these moments where it's, you know, I'm playing the melody and she's playing the harmony and then we flip. Um, but that often requires like jumping down an octave or something like just to kind of like smooth it over. Um, and it's very like trial and error how we figure that out, um, which is really mm -hmm. fun to be like, oh, cool. Like now, like I think because we're sisters, um, the, the working, um, relationship is very fluid and like it's like okay now try this now try that and i didn't like that like, <laughs> it's like easy to 
just keep trying stuff and, you know, explore all the options to, to figure out what you want to do. And register actually is very important for me too in my chord voicing choices. And, and Brittany is also very vocal about telling me when she's like, oh yeah, that bass note uh, really sticks out. It's I'm like playing the five in the bass or something. And it's a, just because it's a comfortable voicing, but uh, for my left hand position, but actually, no, that makes it sound like a completely, like we're going somewhere else completely. So yeah, re register when, when you're choosing um, chord voicings is hugely important because of um, what it does to the, to the bass. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And especially if there's only two of us and I'm only playing two notes, like those two notes are hugely important where they are <laughs> in the register and, and yeah, where they follow the chord too. Yeah. It's like, she's a bass and a guitar player in one kind of, you know, like the bass <laughs> note and the rhythm are all happening, <laughs> but you have to be, yeah. Careful about the choices. Mm -hmm. And presumably playing sort of fiddle tunes on a cello requires quite a lot of movement. You've got quite a, a, a distance to cover compared to, you know, fiddle or a mandolin. Yes, you can say that. I'm, I'm very thankful for having had a, a very good classical training, which allows me to get all over the fingerboard with relative ease. <laughs> and what are, the, what are the sort of the modern, you talked, talked a little bit about, sort of Scottish music having used cellos, but what are sort of, and you talked about Crooked Still sort of introducing it as a bluegrass instrument, but what are the, um, what are the models for, like where, where do people go to develop that approach? Presumably something like the, like the Edgar Meyer playing on some of those records is close enough in that it's, it's some of the similar challenges. Yeah. And he's, you know, often in cello range. So it's like, I, I feel like there's a pretty much a one-to-one -one correspondence and I'm such a huge, he's such a huge hero of mine that, uh, yeah, I feel like the the musical choices he's making is that's what, what I want to sound like <laughs> as much as possible. Um, yeah. But when I first started, there weren't a lot of cellos doing it uh, other than Rashad who inspired me and, you know, had a sound that, that, was something I wanted to aspire to. Um, but yeah, I guess Scotland's not the only culture. Like I think Sweden has a pretty healthy cello scene and Ireland more and more. And, um, and like Eastern Europe, I think it also has a really big, like R Romania, um, you know, of using bowed bass um, as a uh, accompaniment instrument for dance music. Um but yeah, as far as where one goes to, you know, figure out something that hasn't really been done before on, on a, an instrument is you just have to like copy uh, players you like maybe of other instruments like Edgar or like, you know, I'll, I'll get chordal ideas from, from pianists and, and guitarists. And um, yeah, there's, there wasn't, there wasn't a big press precedent for it in, in Celtic music when I first started. And it's, it's interesting because you've sort of listened to like bluegrass, although you can do anything with the bluegrass band and people are doing all sorts of bluegrass instrumentation these days. Um, the, the instruments have a relatively defined role when you're playing traditional bluegrass and that the bass is like, they, they essentially they function as a drum kit with the bass as the kick drum and the mandolin as a snare drum. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so hearing particularly duo and trio stuff, but when people have much more sort of flexibility to go where they want and we're hearing like a bass player, like, like Paul Coat, who 
will use the full range of the instrument. I find that stuff fascinating. And what you were saying about sort of register earlier, and that like naively hadn't occurred to me that you'll be playing a five string fiddle. And that's mm-hmm. why those bits where my ear is listening are going, who's doing what? Where are they? Who's who's where? Mm-hmm. There's there's much more crossover than I'd imagine there being, which explains so much of the the listening experience of sort of tracing the the journey of the melody as it's handed over and passed back and you know, that conversational element which makes it so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean Sorry. oh go ahead. You go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just gonna say that yeah, I think um you know, having played with Brittany, who plays a five string, and having played with other uh, fiddle players who play four strings, like I feel like Brittany is rare in that she can actually get below me when she's playing harmonies um, that mean that the cello can still, you know, uh, stand out um, as it can't when I'm if I'm playing the melody and, and a fiddle player is playing a harmony way above me. It's like you can't tell that the cello has the melody because it doesn't have that brightness. Sorry. What were you going to say, Britt? I guess I was just thinking about like octave. Like I, I basically play within like three octaves probably between the low C and third position on the E string. And you probably have even a wider span, right? Nat? Yeah. I mean, comfortably. Yeah. I go up to um, like a, an A on the A, A string down to the low C. Um, but sometimes I'll play higher than that, but I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> and your C is, is your C two octaves below mine? I think, uh, I think it might just be an octave, but uh, then your low open C, right? Yeah. It would be two octaves lower than a, a, a third finger C on the G string, I think. Okay. But because of the timbre of the instrument, it it, it sounds lower, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and is there um, is there like a big difference in because obviously there's there's so much opportunity now to study acoustic music in all forms from sort of typical conservatoire like old fashioned hierarchical approach to this is how we learn a string instrument all the way through to fiddle camps, but you can study American acoustic music at lots of amazing colleges now. And I, I might've made this up, but I don't believe you both studied music at college. Did you One, I think Natalie, you studied music at college, didn't you? And I, I think did, Brittany, yeah. you studied, did. you didn't, Biology. did you? I did not. I, I minored in music. So I, it was okay. part of my education there. Um, but yeah, Nat's been to Juilliard. So kind of, she's like seen the full spectrum, like, because we grew up going to fiddle camps and now she teaches that and has like co-founded a bunch of them with Alster. And she also taught at Berkeley College of Music. So it's like, you've, you've been in the middle of the full range of that, that <laughs> teaching spectrum, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I did the classical thing because Berkeley was kind of the only option, at least uh, close to home when I was studying. I, like, I don't think that some of these programs that are now really strong in, in Europe um, existed yet um, when I was choosing colleges. So um, I could have gone to Berkeley, but it was like uh, far more in the jazz, rock, um, pop kind of uh vein than than what I wanted to be doing. The the roots program at Berkeley didn't exist yet. So 
I chose Juilliard because I I wanted to get better at my instrument and um and I kept playing trad stuff. Um, you know, I was touring with Alistair already for most of my college experience and going to like Irish sessions in New York and um, still doing the fiddle camps in the summer and stuff. So I, I was getting both worlds. Were there many people doing that um, at Juilliard? Were there many people playing trad music alongside the sort of more traditional repertoire? Very few. Uh, yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> there, there were a couple like intrepid <laughs> people uh, and I tried to get a session going while I was there and, um, you know, got, got a little bit of interest, but, uh, no, it was, it was not common at the time. Um, and I, I don't know that it is <laughs> still, I mean, I think they've become a little bit more open-minded, but I think that that whole conservatory world takes, uh, takes time to, to make changes in it. Yeah. And I presume it's still sort of pretty much tied to the way that kind of music's always been taught and the, yeah. The, I, but my experience of just through talking to people and seeing the range of teaching that is out there for kind of folk and roots instruments now, whether it's, you know, online or at camps or it seems much more sort of flat and the performers and the audience all seem to be part of the same group. And if you go to a festival, the person you see on the main stage on a Saturday night is probably teaching a, in a little tent on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Whereas in the classical world, it's kind of you've got like gods and mortals almost and you aspire to one day be a god and it feels like the the sort of acoustic music world is much more organic and much more sort of flat than that mm. yeah i think i think in folk music your mentors are much more approachable than they are in the classical music world so you did you want to say something Brett? oh just maybe that's a factor of the size of the scenes too i don't know i think it was so baffling, you know, when we were young to be like, oh, I can talk to them. Like, this is this person that I've listened to all their CDs, but they're like right over there. <laughs> like, you can just so go and say, I love your, your fiddle playing. And they'll say, you want to sit down and play a tune? Um, and that, I don't think that would necessarily be possible if it was less esoteric, <laughs> you know, because there'd just be more people. Um so I don't know in, in my limited experience of the classical world, it does, it does seem like it, it is fairly open-minded in, in some aspects, I think in younger folks <laughs> and like chamber musical people, maybe I'm my, my experience is just like in Nashville, which is obviously kind of a bubble um, where there's a lot of musical things meeting. And so I think there's overlap because of the sessions happening where there's like classical people in a string quartet playing with a singer or whatever, you know, like there's maybe more blending happening here. So it feels quite open-minded. Yeah. And I, I think that's true of the younger classical scene, probably um, in general across the board. I think it's just what I was referring to was the way it's taught in, in conservatories. Um, hmm. It's interesting though, with, uh, with players like Edgar or Chris Thiele or Mike Marshall, you know, who, play like classical music, like play a whole lot of Bach or Edgar will play the symphony or this and and don't seem to make any distinction it's all just music to be played and enjoyed and learned from and studied and there's a mm -hmm. there's a lovely sort of crossover that's had that thing that's built from the 90s onwards I guess from you know things like um Uncommon Ritual and you know some of those records that it, it's this lovely space between 
like we were talking about earlier on, I guess, between composed and improvised and being space for both and all of those things in there. And it feels like there's a really sort of strong seam of that going on at the moment um, with like with the two of you, obviously, and the Hawktail and Punch Brothers and people like Wes Corbett. And it feels like there are a lot of people operating somewhere in that, that sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cool, exciting time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> It does feel like, a, I mean, you know, it's hard to know what other eras that you didn't live through feel. And it may just be that I'm particularly right. absorbed by this music now and wasn't 10 or 15 years ago. So it all seems exciting to me right now. But it does seem like <laughs> a really rich time for acoustic instruments in general, like playing, recording, building of them. Like it's just a, mm-hmm. a bit of a golden age we're in. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. And Brittany is like living right in the thick of it. <laughs> she sees all these people all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. Um, it's, it's inspiring. And and talking of teaching, because that we were a minute ago, um, mm-hmm. you both teach online, don't you? I don't know if you mm-hmm. sort of teach sort of regularly in the sort of face to face fashion as well, but you've both got courses on the the sort of new digital platforms. I know. Uh, Brittany, you've got a fairly new course in artist works, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And how is that going? Because I, you know, being an artist work student and seeing the amount of oh, cool. sort of work, like I, part of Brian Sutton's course and Michael Dave's course, and that constant churn nice. of having to respond to students, it's a it's a big undertaking. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really cool. I mean, I think I still think it. There's no substitute for being with somebody in person, but it's the next best thing, and um, it's been really fun to sort of develop relationships with people over time of just hearing hearing them play and seeing what they're interested in working on. And I, it's good for me. Like I think the skills that you get to hone when you're trying to be helpful in that way. Like I think mo- most of my teaching experience was at fiddle camps because that's what I grew up going to i did also have private instruction but um most of my like foundational um folk music experiences were at fiddle camp so in in a group teaching setting um where there's a lot of focus placed on repertoire and style and not as much on technique it's more like you just have you you get functional at playing and then you can be there and you can learn all this stuff and how to do it and how to make it sound like these traditions um so then when it's one like i i taught like that a lot and then to teach one-on-one where you're like looking at what somebody's doing and being like okay i think like if you bowed it this way like that might feel better you know it's it like it challenges me to try to figure out what's going on and how somebody can get better and i think thinking in that way is helpful for my own approach to playing. Yeah. It certainly seems to be one of those things that in all aspects of life, if you have absorbed something yourself, but then if you can explain it to somebody else, it sort of takes on a new depth and sometimes you struggle to explain it to somebody else. And so having to do that really sort of beds into your own experience. Totally. And it's so different for everybody. Like everybody's body is different. Everybody's tastes Mm. are different. So it's like, you don't necessarily know like what, you know, you don't, you don't want to put too much on them. Like, I think that could be better, but like, if they like it, then that's what matters, you know, because music (laughs) is about expression. So there's, there's not so much that's right and wrong or those lines 
blur sometimes. <laughs> no, it's funny. I, you know, I just on a personal level, I, my 10 year old son played a piano competition yesterday and they, you know, everybody gets a mark at the end and some feedback. And it was just like, it was a lovely point where one of the, the judges said, um, like, I can see you're all worried about making mistakes and worried about being wrong. So if you could learn to be more afraid of not communicating something than mm. being afraid of getting it wrong, that's the way to go. And like all these kids totally. went, oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> oh wow. Just, you know, seeing this room of, like, if somebody said that to me, yeah, not, I don't think I was even playing an instrument at 10, but that's exactly the stuff you want to hear, you know, rather than here are the rules, here's mm. how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and really cool to have, like, you've got a string master's course, Natalie, and, like, presumably, it's one of the joys of this point in time it's not just a golden age of playing and recording and music but the fact this stuff is so available if you tried to learn you know sort of folk bluegrass roots cello 20 years ago so you know good luck to you but now there are, there are places you can go yeah and I, I think a lot of that was kind of brought on by the pandemic you know everybody had a lot of time on their hands and musicians were looking for other ways uh, of making income and it actually ended up working out really well for, for everybody, um, like for the students, you know, those who might not have the time or resources to go to fiddle camp to all of a sudden have all of those, uh, you know, all of that knowledge, um, kind of available, um, in a hopefully affordable way. And, you know, without ever having to leave the comfort of your own home, um, you know, just means that you can, uh, Still, and I think some of it, like, uh, you know, it's different from the the courses that are, um, you know, you just like put a, film a bunch of lessons and put them up there and they're there forever. Like what Brittany's doing is great because it's back and forth. Um, I ended up doing like a lot of Zoom workshops over the pandemic. I did like one a month and it actually was just a great way of like keeping these communities alive. Um and so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that that has kind of continued uh, in for a lot of people, um, you know, schedule depending. But like, I think it's good for, you know, we, we've gone back to doing fiddle camps, but for the, the people that can't make it there to, to for them to have other oppor- learning opportunities is really valuable. Yeah, I think that's this, one of the cool things about the last couple of years is just the idea of being able to be part of a community that you're physically nowhere near. Like just for me, you know, I'm sitting here in London, but I regularly talk to people all over the, you know, the US and elsewhere for this. And I feel like I'm connected to that world, even though, you know, maybe pre-pandemic I wouldn't have done because we're just so happy to sit down and look at each other on a screen and talk in a way that (laughs) before it might have been, well, let's see when we can schedule actually getting together. I've only done one interview face to face in (laughs) two and a half years of doing this. Mm. And that, you know, I think that's part of, just how good we are at connecting when we're, we have to now. Totally. And so I'm really interested in this. Do you see this as like an ongoing project now, the duo? Because one of the glorious things about this world of acoustic music is the fluidity of, like, you come to the world of rock and people are in a band and then they might be in another band. But just the people have scheduling stuff and people have different things they want to explore. And it seems very fluid to be able to, do many things at the same time mm-hmm. so is this something totally. you see sort of running for the longer term absolutely 
I mean, why would we not? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got we've got some gigs lined up for this summer, and um, you know, a, a few festivals down the line um, for next year. So, um, yeah, we're we're just gonna play it by ear. I think you know we both have other projects, but um, this is always going to be there and lots of fun and very rewarding when it does get to happen. So hopefully it'll happen more. <laughs> yeah. It's, it kind of feels like there's, there's the touring part of it and then there's the recording part of it and they're both great. So it's sort of like you can choose which one um, fits, you know, in the schedule or whatever. Um, like with this record, we, it all happened very quickly. Kind of were like, let's make a record. Um, do, 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 like look at the calendars. Okay. We have these five days, <laughs> like two days to rehearse, three days to record, bam, done. Um, <laughs> you know, and then the pre-production takes some time and all that, but, um, yeah, just kind of knowing that like we have this f very functional, like we're, we have the abilities and we just have to make the time to like come together, um, write some tunes arrange them together you know it's it feels very like um a good pairing like i mean obviously maybe that seems like a duh kind of thing like we're sisters <laughs> so we we get along and we like know how to work together but um feels like it works really well and there's like plenty more territory to explore and mm. um it's also really fun to like get together and just do a tour because it's sort of like being on vacation but with work so it's like a good balance of like a way to hang out directed towards something specific <laughs> yeah, it's basically just an excuse to see each other because we live in different places and yeah it's all usually music that's bringing us together and so this this gives us an, an extra reason reason to do it totally. and i guess there's none of that worry about going on tour and you know will, will you get on on the road or not <laughs> used to be around each other by now it's like even if you don't get along we're still related yeah. <laughs> you should put that should put that on the t-shirts <laughs> cool well thanks so much for doing this i've really enjoyed this chat and i'm really excited to see how the record does because i've been really enjoying it the past couple of weeks and i'm excited for everybody to get to hear it i think by the time this interview goes out um the record will be out Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for having us, Matt. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Cool. That's us. Okay. There's okay. there's a lot of wildlife going on in the background, but I think I might just I'm leave it so in. I'm so sorry. <laughs> was that I lived the dog was to... there? There's a I dog, next... there's a rooster, there's... <laughs> yeah, there's uh, sheep. <laughs> so sorry. It's all right. I might... I um... do. I'll tell people at the beginning and say there's some sort of prize for the person who could identify the most animals in this space of the interview. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I don't really know. I, I think it all adds to the charm. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.